This Is Fine, a podcast for the pandemic. I am your host, Dana Beeler, and this week I'm talking to Nathan Beeler, who, yes, is related to me. He is my uncle. We played in a bluegrass band together for, I don't know, like six years from the time I was 14 until I was 20, 20 or 21. He is a music educator and a musician, and most recently he... Uh, is the author of a book called Everything Matters, um, 50 Essays on Music Education, which I did read and I do enjoy. Uh, I'm not a music educator at all, but I found the stories to be very relatable and the lessons to be um, very useful for pretty much any career. We talk about creativity, passion, Um, We talk about the book, of course, and music education and maybe what the future holds for it. So this is our conversation. Um, We play two songs in this episode. The first one is by Roxy and the Underground Soul Sound. It's called Good Times. And the second one is called The African Sanctus by David Fan Shui. So this is our conversation. Um... I hope that you enjoy. Um, so do you want to explain um, your your job, I guess, to people? Because it's not, you're not um, the typical musician that I've been talking to, so. Yeah, no, for sure. So what I do is uh, I am the department head for what would be the largest music department east of Montreal uh, in terms of school music. We offer programming from grade four to grade 12. We have uh, about 2,000 children in our string program and we have uh, uh, close to 30 ensembles that we are extensions of what happens in the regular music program. So audition ensembles. We support music in schools in various ways um, through professional development and training. And we also, um, we try to be on the front of what music education should look like Mm -hmm. so we can be leaders. Uh, And that's what makes now, as crappy as things are now, it's Mm -hmm. also an opportunity to sit down and, and envision like what, what can music education look like in the future? We have an opportunity to reevaluate how we're allocating all our resources. And so I sound like an administrator there, but what I'm saying, (laughs) (laughs) what I'm really saying is we have done things the same way for a hundred years. Yeah. And maybe we can use this time to reorganize our thoughts on what music education should look like in schools right? Because you're one of the busiest musicians that I know of. <laughs> and it just was not a thing for you in school very much, yeah. right? So whatever needs you had musically were met, you know, our family, obviously. Yeah. But what if you didn't have a musical family? Like, what would you, how would you have gotten that inspiration? And I'm just wondering if we can, if school music can provide a much larger kind of catchment area right for creative youth because really that's what we're about is encouraging creative youth what is the like 
this might be a really like daft thing to say, but what's the like um, temperature of like music in schools right now? Because it was my understanding that they were removing a lot of music classes and arts classes from schools because they felt it wasn't necessary or something. Is that still a thing? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it depends on where you are. Right in Halifax right now, we are immensely supported. Um, okay. We have a, uh, a tax in the city called the Supplementary Educational Fund. So everybody pays. Everybody who owns property pays this tax. And okay. It, it comes out to about twelve million dollars a year that goes to arts funding on top of what the government provides. Right. right. So we we actually you know we spent last week uh, the whole leadership team spent last week talking about how we can increase support in different areas of the of the city of HRM hmm. you know, and how can we get more stuff happening in the rural parts of HRM and how do we support that and so in HRM it's good and in pockets of Nova Scotia it's excellent in Cape Breton there's tons of music education happening but there are also pockets like like Hans East where you know yeah. we both went to high school they don't <laughs> they don't have a music program now yeah it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, so I mean, it's hard because, you know, with withering dollars or whatever, you have to decide what you're going to prioritize. And the, the general consensus is, oddly enough, right? This is the funny part. The general consensus is creativity is not necessary. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's silly. Right. And yet we go out into the world and where jobs are changing like every 30 seconds. And, mm -hmm. and in order to survive, you have to be creative. Yeah. You know, like how many people are going and working at a factory for the next 35 years and getting their pension and retiring to their summer home? I mean, this that's not the model. Yeah that we use anymore and so in my opinion anyways which is biased i fully admit focus on creativity and and intense teaching of the arts should be one of the priorities of any society that is as in flux as ours right now but so the answer to the question long way around, <laughs> depending where you are in the province like in, right. in hrm right now where we are it, <clears throat> it is very solid one of the okay. most important programs in the country Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I remember, um, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago now or something like that, I uh, volunteered at Jazz East um, in their office yeah. and like phone called people basically to get Jerry Grinelli to go and do um, classes or courses or something in yeah. like come teach kids. And the majority of the schools that I called in Nova Scotia were like, yeah, we don't have a music program anymore. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but that was 10 years ago. So I guess. Things change. Well, yeah, there are lots of music programs. There, there are lots of places in Nova Scotia that are really struggling. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it, uh, I guess I, maybe I don't understand, like, is it because schools are less funded, like public schools are less funded than they were before or? No, um, there are only so many minutes in the day mm -hmm. that we teach children. And so as a society, we make a decision on what we're going to prioritize for those minutes. Right. And there are so many skills that we perceive children need that, that 30 years ago, even we wouldn't have thought. Right. Right. So now in terms of like uh, one, one of the big things that kids are taught now 
even in elementary school, is coding. Right, yeah. Right, which is, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, yeah. it's the language of every device, excuse me, device that they're, um, they're utilizing, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in order to teach something new, something else has to move out of the way, right? Um, and also there's a huge prioritizing of literacy and numeracy, that is math and, and, and English or language. Right. So it's a challenge. So there's a certain number of minutes a day you must teach English and a certain number of minutes a day you must, must teach math. And then everything else is built in around those things. So the first answer would be that it's harder to find time, right? Where, um, you know, when I was in junior high school, I had band class three times a week for an hour. Yeah. Kids now have band class um, twice a week for an hour and a half. Right. Like, like total instead of three hours a week, it's an hour and a half a week. So the, the changes that happen there are, are big, but also, um, and this is also something scary to talk about, but uh, there's a really great educator who writes really great books. Um, his name is Dylan William, and his whole philosophy about teaching is that nobody's any good at it. Like you just you never get it's the job is so hard that you never get any good at it. You just have right. to keep, keep developing and developing, and even in your last year of teaching, you are still learning basically how to be a teacher, and that's really reflected in music, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're working with somebody who doesn't have the skill set to be a music teacher where it's an optional subject anyways. Right. It's very challenging to, to build grit, to get wheels that, that so programs survive. You right. Know what I mean? And, and that's really hard because if you're trying to attract somebody to go work in the middle of rural Nova Scotia and, and adapt and build like Diane, my wife, Diane has kept her program solid and together. Yeah. For, five years out of sure pure stubbornness she just refuses to to let it go away and and her skill and her passion um glue that thing together and and that's a very special set of qualities that you don't often find yeah and i guess um uh, from reading your book uh i have like delved into a side of you that I don't think I knew because I knew you you're my uncle and we've played in a band together but I you've never been my teacher and I've never had uh I've never had a teacher as passionate about teaching as it's as you are writing in this book and I'm like I every time I'm every time I'm like it's taken me a long time to read this um, it's not very long, but it, I'm a very slow reader. So I, not interesting either. Like, <laughs> no, it is, but that's the thing. Is it like, um, it is actually really interesting and it's so like cool because it, it, um, there's so many other parts of the world and life and pieces of like jobs or career paths that you could relate everything that you're saying to. And there's things that I don't understand uh, that are very, um that relate very much to music but the concept is very like is so easily adapted into other people's career choices or life choices I guess and I keep telling people I'm like I wish I had someone that passionate teaching me when I was like 
in school because I probably would have cared more. I don't think I was a good student and I don't, and it was because it seemed nobody cared. And so I, I'm very jealous of your students now that they, yeah. that's what they get to deal with. <laughs> well, the cool thing too about what I, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, and I've been very lucky Dana because I make all kinds of mistakes all the time and say the wrong thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but um, yeah, passion for whatever you're doing is the glue that holds whatever you're doing together. And if you don't, if you don't really love the things that you do, it's, it's harder to, you know, I had a really interesting conversation about this with one of my students, to be honest with you. She, she uh, went and did a master's in performance at University of Colorado. And now she is a music librarian in Calgary. And she's just an outstanding, wonderful human being. And she, I, I was talking about the concept that everything matters and that, Everybody, there's a there's a chapter in the book called "What's Your Deep Field," mm-hmm. my one and only TED talk, by the way. <laughs> um, that talks about how everybody finds something that they find so interesting that they invest everything in it. Like, right, yeah. My my friend Dan's father was a duck carver. He carved wooden ducks. Okay, know? okay, <laughs> and. Uh, which, you know, they, you put them in the water and other ducks come down and then you shoot the other ducks, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. um, which I find a little horrifying, but he was the best wooden duck carver in Nova Scotia, right? So there's obviously a lot wow. of passion invested in being the best wooden duck carver. But my student in Calgary, she was like, well, I don't think that's true. I think some people are just happy to be living, you know, and they're not pursuing some passion in an intense way. They're just happy to be around. Um, and so I have to admit that, yeah, that is true. Um, mm-hmm. That is true. I haven't met very many. Right. Everybody has something that they dig into with all of their heart. And I just happened to have stumbled into teaching. I didn't mean to do this. It wasn't the plan. Right. Um, I stumbled into it and then have been through a thousand series of mistakes, falling in love with it ever since. And the cool thing about what Dylan Williams says about teaching that for me is entirely true. I don't feel like on any given day, I'm exceptionally good at it. All I feel like is, okay, today wasn't as bad as yesterday. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And even, even if it was, you know, you have some days where you're like, Oh Jesus, everything that comes out of my mouth is just dropping like a rock. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, you have days like, some kids contacted me three weeks ago. They wanted to do one of these virtual ensemble things. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen them on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're, they're not real for one thing. They're right. Because yes, if 30 kids send you videos. You can't just put those videos together and release it because it would sound like complete. Math. <laughs> so, so what you do is you take the, the video track off all the videos. You take mm-hmm. the video, get rid of it and you mix the audio. Yeah. For, 30 different tracks recorded in 30 different places on 30 different instruments, right? With 30 different concepts of rhythm and tempo and intonation. Oh, wow. And then you do that for 20 hours and then it sounds like something, but I knew it was going to be hard, but these kids wanted to do it. So I'm like, Oh yeah, whatever, what else am I doing sitting here in my office? Right. So I did it. And the kids made this unbelievable video montage that we then just dropped the audio track on. 
Oh, cool. And we just released it. Yeah, yeah. It's on Twitter right now. And it's pretty, it turned out quite amazingly cool. I mean, it was, it's not real. Like I said, there was, there's a whole bunch of audio manipulation, <laughs> right? Like moving a rhythm, you know, half. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it, um, see, kids being interested enough to make that happen is to care. It, yeah. It's pretty powerful. Like that's powerful. So I would say, um, when you were in school, you probably had passionate teachers, but they, you just weren't into what they were passionate about. Yes. Like, like, and that's the thing. So for me, it's easy because the, the two ensembles that I conduct kids just come. Right. You know, and it's, uh, it's really awesome. And we just laugh and make music and it's fun. That's so uh, cool. I, I, for, I forget that it's school, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> it's just, you know, a bunch of people trying to make something good. said at the beginning here that may not happen right we may not be allowed yeah. to be back into rooms we may not you know we may not be allowed to have 50 kids in the same space you know and so what i'm doing here and with my colleagues is trying to imagine <clears throat> what things might look like what opportunities will come out of you know how much more independent kids can we get if we require them to be independent because we can't be in the room with them. You know what I mean? And really at the end of the day, that's what we want in everything. Like we want independence. Yeah. Because musicians, you know, it's funny, like administering music teachers is fun in a weird way because, because everybody is independent. Like musicians are by nature they're hard to wrangle into groups like I watch your band and I think you know what are rehearsals like or <laughs> for good quality musicians sitting in a room yeah trying to, get, trying to make something happen and you've managed to you've, you've managed to stay together for a long time and that that shows a level of cooperative music making that that is challenging that's mm-hmm. challenging and that's what I try to do with my team is is get them to be all their ideas matter and are important 
but somewhere along the way, we have to be on the same path. Right. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a big challenge. So what that path looks like in September, I, I can't, I don't even know. Hopefully similar. But, yeah. But who knows, right? Like things seem to be going in the right direction now, but are we going to put 30 elementary kids in a music classroom? Like, you know, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Yeah. Did, is there like a possibility of, so school is like done now. No. Until <clears throat> we could potentially go back as early as, uh, hang on. <laughs> I'm going to look at my calendar. Um, we are only officially out um, until the 19th. Oh, wow. We could conceive, or is the 19th? Yeah, the 19th is the day after Victoria Day weekend, right? So yes. we could conceivably be back on the 19th. Now, nobody knows if that's going to happen. And so the province, I think, with good reason, is holding their cards pretty close to their chest. So I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we could be back before the school year is over. Right. I don't know if that's going to happen. And there would have to be a lot of, like, what's happening in Quebec right now is they're going back on Monday for the elementary schools. What? Um, yep. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of uh, procedures. I know, right? But uh, except in Montreal, apparently. In Montreal, they're not. Okay. They're everybody else. Uh, so school, I, I don't know. I, I've tried to guess and I can't. So I just kind of try to anticipate. And then if it doesn't happen the way I think, then adapt. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like I was saying, I think it's, it's, it's could be, there could be some powerful things that come out of this about how to how to facilitate music education differently i mean you know change change doesn't happen until it's made to happen and, right you know there's been a lot of made to happen i mean you must be thinking like what's the what's the live music scene in halifax gonna look like you know i it's, i don't think it's gonna exist <laughs> that's the like i mean that's the sad part of it i really don't think that we'll be able to tour for at least a year um into like mid 2021 it looks like right now specifically especially internationally which is like the majority of our touring has been international over the last couple of years um and with regards to like capacity at venues i don't i don't know what they're going to do like it seems i don't know and it also seems like very much the last thing on the list to that anyone's going to which is too bad. I don't know. It's kind of scary. It's a scary thought. Uh, but I do see there are people doing a lot of like online, um, like online concerts, house concerts, that kind of thing. Um, Syrup Factory does one and you pay like 10 bucks or six bucks and you get a password to a Zoom thing. And it's whoever Dan Mangan or some uh, singer songwriter person that can do a solo um, performance. Um, it's a lot more difficult for us as a band to do something. We've been working for the last three weeks on a musical compilation of all four of us singing and performing together, not together, but together. So, and that's only for three songs. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and it's yeah. challenging, right? Because it's you can't, so hard. You can't actually do it together. No. <laughs> and You know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody. I said, surely somebody's going to invent a system that allows you to do that. And they're like, no. It's no, just, it's not possible. Like, like the signal has to go 
at the exact same time <laughs> on the internet and yeah. because it has to go on the internet there's always going to be latency even if it's like ridiculously small yeah you know so yeah so the mixing and the and and all of that stuff is i mean that's you know although with four people it's less challenging than it's a, yes yeah 30 <laughs> is that's intense <laughs> 30, was, 30 was a bit much i will yeah yeah, there was a lot of a lot of moving around, but yeah. So I mean, I and I think I think you know, online teaching of music mm-hmm. has, on the whole, not been hugely successful as of yet. Individual instruction is one thing, mm-hmm. and that's not new. A lot of people like if you're going to audition for the University of Toronto or whatever, right? You you generally will take a lesson with one of the teachers up there. Because oh, okay. I mean, a four-year commitment to that kind of mentorship is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I would never advise a student go to school without meeting the teacher that they're going to, you know, work with. So there's been lots of online listening happening for years, but big groups don't work, right? So yeah. we can get our kids together and talk. Yeah. You know, and, hey, you're all wonderful, but... Um, which you know we all need from time to time, but the the idea of making music like this, yeah, is you know we may end up like next year we may end up producing a lot of producers. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot yeah, of yeah, right. Really good at manipulating sound from multiple sources in multiple areas because you know our music classes may be okay. Here is a piece of music. You four record this and then bring it together and present it as something. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Which is not bad. Yeah, it's different. It's closer to industry standard than, say, learning the tuba. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Not. I mean, there's lots of tuba players making a living. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot more, lot more recording production people making a living than tuba players. I guarantee you. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the the stats are on tuba to producers. So, <laughs> well, in in, in Canada, there are nine professional orchestras, and four of them have seats for tuba players. Okay. So right now there's four full time job for tuba players in Canada. There you go. Wow. Plus the military bands, yeah, it's more than that, but okay. In general, <laughs> and those people probably get paid like real money, and some producers they do, get paid. They do. Good I money, mean, but... in in Montreal, they make a hundred k somewhere in that range. Jesus, not bad. Should but, be a tuba player. Well, I mean, and they <laughs> they don't make the money that you know the principals make, like the violin, like right? Whatever. But that's yeah, but in 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 Halifax, they don't make that for sure. Like the that's the irony of classical music, right? Like the, if you're if you're the principal trumpet, like Richard Simonal is the principal trumpet of the Symphony of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Means he's one of the arguably fifteen best classical trumpet players in the country. Wow. And he's making 40 grand a year, whatever. Like, when are wow. you the 15th best of anything? Yeah. You know wow. what I mean? <laughs> and making that much money, right? That's just the nature of the industry. Interesting. It's not, it's not lucrative. For right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything. God, it, anything in the arts is run around, um, you know, run around, chase money. That's what the arts is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even in education, you know. Yeah. Uh, we run around and chase money all the time. Yeah, what's, um, I guess, like, what's your daily life like now? That Are you working from home? You're not going into your office? I am working from home, yes. Okay. 
this is me and my this is my little man cave downstairs okay um it's an odd man cave because it's not filled with hockey memorabilia <laughs> instruments um but uh so my right now my daily is very close to what it would be at uh if if I was actually working because I'm doing all those administrative things that are happening um, that would happen anyways. Like I, mm-hmm. I uh, we're in the middle of staffing. So we're hiring people. We're getting ready oh, to wow. hire people and make sure that all the teachers are in the positions they want to be in and make sure, making sure that all of our circuits that we have created for next year work and, all of those things, right? right? Because m- most music teachers work in more than one building, so they have to schedule their lives around moving around from building to building. It's quite challenging, and um, we're also into our because the city provides us with this tax money every year, this this uh, supplementary funding. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty intensive reporting process that goes to the city about how we spent their money. So there is that, you know, they, they get a report every year of the audiences that we've reached and the kids that we've reached. And so there's a lot of data pushing and stuff. Um, And I tell you, and you, as a music administrator, Mm -hmm. you know, you know this too, that the, the, the passion that you have for the thing that you love that made you get into the industry has to carry you through the mendacity of of whatever hard stuff when when i'm sitting you know on a spreadsheet going okay one percent here (laughs) there i you know how does this apply (laughs) to anything that i love (laughs) yes yeah but you know it's the ability to make change to affect change Mm -hmm. which is what keeps anybody going i'm sure i mean again in, in the work that you do with all of the like all of the amazing things that you do um, is just the ability to make change for the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I feel like that is something that I had to remind myself of every day. (laughs) Yep. So my job looks like me sitting at this desk. Uh, I have an office hour Mm -hmm. once, once a day from 11 to 12, any kid is welcome to contact me and chat. So I'm doing a lot of conversations with kids now who are in grade 11, who are thinking about studying music. Okay. Music as a career. I'm also doing some teacher recruitment. So I'm chasing down teachers who might, because we actually, we're hiring next year. We need two full-time music teachers, which is, particularly string teachers, they're hard to find. Mm -hmm. Um, Because string string players generally can get more work. So less of them go into education. (laughs) Whereas, you know, your average tuba player also does an education group. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> to, to eat. <laughs> right. So um, like the, yeah, it looks a lot like the, the thing that I'm missing is the contact with the youth and, mm-hmm. you know, which is really the reason that I do all this. So that's a little hard, but um, on the whole, it, it looks like it looks um Again, it's right now I'm spending a lot of time meeting with teachers and just allowing them, you know, like you set up a Zoom meeting for 30 people. Yeah. And then you just don't say anything. Yeah. And we just talk to one another, right? Yeah. So that, so that they can feel connected because everybody feels so isolated and, and uh, a little bit out of control. Right. Yeah. I guess what is like, what, 
what are other teachers feeling? Do they feel like, do they enjoy the situation? Do they wish that, I don't know. Um, I've not met anybody who enjoys it. Okay. <laughs> you know, we, um, it's funny that we, you know, teachers, we're, we're so busy that we're not very good at our own PR. Right. Think, you know, we, we, um, we spend so much time working, we forget that we, we need to be kind of marketing ourselves a little bit um, mm-hmm. because the public finds everybody. So my, one of my favorite lines is everybody's an expert about education because everybody went to school. Right. <laughs> and, you know, like I've, I, I have to remind people, you know, yes, there are bad teachers. There are teachers who are, are not very good at their jobs. We have all kinds of things in place to try to help those teachers. But at the end of the day, there are bad teachers. Yeah. There are also bad doctors. And mm-hmm. Like, what do you call a doctor who finished last in their medical school? Like, you call them doctor. That's what you call them, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Still a doctor. Um, <laughs> well, there, there are bad airline pilots. There are bad all kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. So we just happen, there's just a whole lot of teachers. So, you know, on a per capita basis, there you see some that are that struggle with the work because the work is incredibly hard. Um, so a lot of, uh, you know, I, I field occasional passive aggressive tweets and stuff of people like, what are you guys doing anyways? And like, your lawn must look really good and all of the <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but, um, cause people, you know, by the way, passive aggressive just drives me crazy. I just hate, <laughs> like I, I, I just, I can't handle it in, in children. At least I can go child. Don't speak to me that way. Stop, yeah. But with adults, you're kind of like, I, I, so basically I just get stupid really fast. I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you say it again? (laughs) What do you mean? Do you mean? Oh, oh, you were, oh, that was sarcasm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, if you got something to say, man, like, get out, right? But, um, so I've been fielding some, communications from people wondering what we're doing right for the most part teachers hate this um most teachers i know really dig seeing students succeed right and one of the problems that they're having right now is that particularly in the music side of things we're just not a priority right so parents are uh, and it as it should be, uh, kids, you know, right now, just to kind of get them through to the end of the year, we're making sure they know math and we're making sure they know English and and that they're not freaking out about how much time they have to spend on computers, right? Right. Um, so music teachers are talking about lack of engagement. It's hard to engage kids online mm-hmm. when you can't actually make music with them, right? So we can talk about music and we can we can uh, do assignments where they listen to things and then respond to us. And right. We can sing at the computer and hope that they sing along with us. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. But it's, it's tough. Like there are, there are schools that are getting really, you know, low engagement and it's hard. Um, so teachers are feeling a little, because they own all of that, right? They they take it into their soul and they think that the kids aren't engaging because they're bad teachers. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not true. The kids, I mean, we're in the middle of a crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and trying yeah. to offer something in the middle of a crisis. And that's, that's, and everybody's doing everything they can. And the world is like, the, one of the inspiring things about meeting with groups of teachers is how creative and wonderful they are. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're just filled with a million passionate ideas of how to deliver music to kids. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, every single one of them would rather be in their rooms right now. I mean, all things being equal, going back to their rooms right now is actually kind of scary because, yes. but all things being non-disease ridden, every single one of them would rather be teaching than doing whatever we're doing now. Right. Right. And there's also, you know, I, the, the, you ever have a project that, and, and you're doing it but it's really hard or it's really frustrating. It's not really something that you're into. So you kind of let it slide (laughs) and then you feel guilty about it. So you have this kind of guilt aura that hangs around you because you know you're supposed, but it's not working and you feel like uh, this is kind of the zeitgeist of the teacher right now. It's like, God, this should be working. Why is it not working? Is it me? Is it, you know, (laughs) is the moon in the seventh house of Jupiter? I don't know. Right. Like, so, um, yeah, so teachers, I think, are looking very much forward to being with their kids again mm-hmm. and to making that difference and to, you know, because right now it's hard and you worry. You know, Diane's got a kid who lives, he doesn't have internet. Right. He doesn't have a computer in his house, you know, so she hasn't really spoken to him and she worries about him. And his plan was to go to his grandmother's once a week and use her, her computer and Diane worries about that, right? Because, right. you know, she's going to, he's going to, you know, an older woman's, you know, home and, yeah. and, and in this time and place, like, is that appropriate? And so it's, I guess so much is out of our control, like to yeah. go back to how much we like to be in control. And again, as musicians, we all like to be in control. We like to, yes. you know, like, even if you're a live band and you give up the control of your sound to your sound man, yeah. And that just drives me crazy. <laughs> right? Because if your sound man sucks, then man, there, you, there you are. You suck. And yeah, all yeah. the things that you do. Yeah, pretty right? much. All the things that you do are kind of overwhelmed by the fact that some idiot doesn't know how to turn a knob. Right? <laughs> um, and so we, we, uh, we are, no, like, don't get me wrong, all sound men are saints. And if any of yes. you are listening, we love you all. Yes. All of them. <laughs> All of you are beautiful, and please don't screw up my next gig. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, the lack of control is a yeah. big challenge, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I can't blame people for that. I feel exactly the same. I think the world is feeling that way, which is why crazy people in, the, in other countries, to be not named, they're doing crazy mm-hmm. things. You know? Everybody, yeah. everybody feels this way. Everybody feels like they're they're just on the edge of control, and you know, you either have to get zen about it, or you know, start ripping down walls and renovating your house. <laughs> um. So I guess in the in lieu of all of that, um, what is keeping you motivated to like get up every day and do your job? Um, I'm doing some really interesting reading, like I'm re- really interesting for me, you know, <laughs> I'm reading this book called Culturally Relevant Teaching, Okay. because I'm not convinced that music education is the most culturally uh, 
sorry, culturally responsive teaching different things. Um, not all music education programs lift up in the same way other cultures music as much as they do western classical music right and i think that that is something over the next 20 years that's going to change in music education is how we see the value of multiple cultural reference points like and I don't want to use the word multicultural because it's used too much and it's a very flat word. It doesn't mm -hmm. imply action, you know. But like, for example, um, I was listening to some really amazing um, hip hop from uh, Iran the other day. Okay, yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Like from Brooklyn to, you know, <laughs> to yeah. the Middle East and, yeah. and that kind of culture bleed is powerful and um there's a guy in um in halifax named ryan veltmeyer do you know ryan i do very well yeah yeah he's a great guy he's and great he, he's he runs this organization that i would really love to hook into music music programs in schools hub youth air connect yeah yeah i love that yeah which, i've been a couple times yeah which i think is cool right like to get like i'd love to put my jazz band with a with a you know hip hop artist and just throw them in a room and see what they come up with you mm -hmm. know and and that kind of stuff yeah i was just watching this great video where this brass band like this group of horns and a drummer and a guitar player uh played a version of killing in the name of by rage against the machine oh cool and the band is right. called uh uh brass against the machine which i think is hilarious <laughs> but that kind of cross pollination of ideas like it's just really i love it yeah. Um, so uh, what keeps me motivated is imagining in the future how we can do things that are more powerful. Like what mm -hmm. we do now is powerful. Like I, we impact a lot of things. You know, I did a concert last year where my orchestra performed the entire Secret Path album. That's so cool. It was. It was awesome. And, you know, we had a First Nation singer come into the show with us and, and do a set of music that was written in, in uh, Nain, no, in um, Northern Labrador. I can't remember the name of the community. But anyways, um, and she just came in and sang so amazingly beautifully. And like, it's just a very powerful experience that was totally not Beethoven, you know, like cool. totally not the Western classical tradition. It was uh, that kind of fusion in education is something that I really believe should be one of our goals is, mm -hmm. is because music is being made in so many amazing ways. Right? It's just, it's so powerful in, in a, a million different ways. And if we can, if we can turn kids on to that, we're going to have, you know, a much more powerful society. And so if we can teach kids to be open and responsive to culture, through music, what's to stop them being open and responsive to culture through conversation, yeah. through politics, through religion, through anything?
but do you feel like uh, you're coming up on retirement in a couple of years, right? <laughs> yeah, five. Five years. Um, do you feel like you'll be able to make that difference in the in the system? In well, the I don't know. I'm not going to be dead in five years for sure. Um, well, he says. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, God. Large systems change really slowly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, when you take a stand on something that you think is important, it might not be the stand that people buy into, right? So you could... You could do all of this research and work and, and wave the flag for radical change. And then people could be like, yeah, no, <laughs> thanks. That was, that was a great idea, but no, we're going to, we're going to continue to eat the saltines. The idea of education is a great big wheel that moves slowly. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, radical change is often bad in large systems. Um, because it's hard to adapt, right. to adopt, pardon me. It's hard to for people to grab onto. So I would say in the next five years, I would hope that, you know, maybe we see recording labs that are available to every student mm-hmm. free where a kid could go. Um, and we have experts that we pay 20 hours a week to teach kids either how to record their own music, you know, have kids bring whatever they own. Yeah. And say in your bedroom, this in my bedroom, this is what I have access to, to make music. Can you help me make the best of that? Right. Right. So if a kid has a MacBook, you know, you can say, well, look for another $120. You can get this very basic audio interface and another hundred bucks gets you a microphone. And all of a sudden you have, the same recording studio that Billie Eilish has, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that's not entirely true, but you know what I'm saying. Pretty right? much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, I would hope that over the next five years we could engage that kind of music education impact in in schools, where we, you know, where we are, especially high schools, in my mm-hmm. opinion, right? But even junior highs where we are getting kids to interact with technology to create music, because that is what is happening. That is the world right now. Right. Like there's lots of great horn bands and people should still learn how to play, you know, and I, I, I will teach band until I die because mm-hmm. I think it's a powerful thing. And, you know, and, and I believe personally that one of the greatest machines ever created by man is the symphony orchestra in terms of uh, communicating expressive and beautiful, but like, literally we we built a rocket to go to the moon and we created the symphony orchestra and those are in my opinion at the same level right (laughs) um so i don't think those should go away but at the same time i think that that western classical music education is a little bit of a sieve that lets through too many people right do you know what i mean that we Mm -hmm. can impact positively and create so yeah i would say that in the rest of my career one of my focuses is, is definitely going to be creating pockets of opportunity for youth to interact with music. I don't know, digitally, it's such a... Digitally, thing. online. Yeah, but, <laughs> but in, a, in a way that doesn't involve a saxophone. Unless right. they want to, you know what I mean? Like in a way that... Yeah. Because kids are doing it already, 
and it would be really nice to help them along. <laughs> Quite frankly. A more current version of music, yeah. I guess. Yeah, or uh, a more flexible, I guess, is the word that I would use. Yeah. One that allows opportunity for kids who are not into, you know, what we offer. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that is, you know, I mean, this year we did a show with uh, Cirque Atlantic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we did a bunch of pop tunes uh, to accompany people kind of swirling around on trapezes. It was, yeah. <laughs> it, was it was ridiculous. But at the same time, the underlying educational philosophy of it is, look, this Cirque du Soleil is one of the largest, or was, one of the largest money-making art institutions on the planet right now yeah and this is what they do yeah on a much smaller level but this is you know this is the kind of vision that it takes to to really push forward as an innovative artist Mm -hmm. right so i you know that's the underlying philosophy of all the teaching that i do is what we are doing is great it's awesome it's powerful it's been done for 500 years and it's stupendous what happens if we drop this into this? So coffee is really awesome. What happens if we put Bailey's in it? <laughs> you know, um, right. Right? Yeah. It becomes better. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it has more of an impact, shall we yeah. say. <laughs> Sweet. Well, that's all. Uh, thanks for talking to me. Well, thanks for talking to me. Talk to you soon. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> See you later on. Thanks so much for listening to This Is Fine, a podcast for the pandemic. I am your host, Dana Bueller, and I'm reminding you that you can find us now on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, if you search Hello Delaware, we will pop up. Make sure to like and subscribe because it really helps us out. Um, you can also purchase Nathan's book on Amazon.ca. It is called Everything Matters, 50 Essays on Music Education. I hope that you... Have a great day, week, month.